You're listening to media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. We are a multi-generational, Jesus-centered community of Scripture, faith, and grace located in Tallahassee, Florida, on the campus of Florida State University. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. We hope that the next few moments are a time when God speaks into your life by the power of His Holy Spirit about His Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who comes in order to bring us an assurance through the working of his kingdom. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in 1988, the playwright David Ives uh, produced a play that it was called Sure Thing. And Sure Thing was a one-act play. It's, it's sort of a romantic comedy play. And uh, the way that it works is this, that uh, there are two, two people in the play, Betty and Bill, and, uh, and it happens in a cafe where uh, Bill walks into the cafe and he sees Betty and he's somewhat attracted. He wants to get to know Betty. He wants to uh, see if she wants to go on a date. And so he musters up all of his courage and he goes up to Betty and he begins to ask her uh, different questions. And, and the first question that comes out of his, his mouth is, is this seat taken? And she said... Yes, it is. And Bill then says, sure thing. And he begins to walk away. And as he says, sure thing, you hear a bell offset go ding, which lets you know that the whole scene is being reset. That all of a sudden, Bill is back in the moment where he has this opportunity to say those first lines again. And so he tries all sorts of different first lines. He goes up to her about what she's reading. Ding! Sure thing. Ding! And every time he tries something new, and every time she knocks him down, until... Until there's a moment where one of the lines somehow mysteriously works and then they move into the next section where Betty is talking to Bill and all of a sudden, well, there's a disconnect on his side. But thankfully, ding, everything gets reset back to the place where it was just before. And the play goes on and on and on and on and... As you watch the play, you finally get to the end where they walk off together absolutely and perfectly in love with one another. It's a great story. It's a story that I think that we could probably fantasize a little bit uh, about as we think about what it is like for us to have those interactions that we wish that we had a bell for. Uh, we wish that we could go ding and all of a sudden just get an opportunity to say something just slightly different or, or to go in a completely different direction. And, and it's uh, an interesting use of, of even the word sure thing uh, because throughout the play, the bell 
really only rings after they say sure thing. And sure thing is one of those, well, it's one of those phrases that we use in, in a variety of different ways. Sure thing can mean, I'm sorry. Sure thing can mean, I understand. Sure thing can mean, that is a absolute sure thing. And every time that they say sure thing, they're actually moving closer and closer and closer to the sure thing of their relationship because the bell dings and they're able to do it over again. Well, what we have in these readings is is a whole bunch of uh, interesting stuff for us to sort of process through and to think about and, and what's going on in the midst of these things. And so let's start off with that reading from Mark, the gospel reading. That reading from Mark where the disciples seem to be giving Jesus a, a sure thing. They're walking out of the temple together and they go, Jesus, isn't this place just beautiful? And Jesus turns to them and says, well, he doesn't say no. But he does say there will come a time when these stones will be knocked off of one another, which is a big thing to be saying because these stones are big stones. In fact, according to the documents and the things that exist about the temple, some of those stones were as big as being 6 by 12 by 25. In terms of how big they were, those stones that were used in order to build the temple were big stones. And so when Jesus says, even these stones will be knocked down, there won't be one left on top of the other, we're not just talking about University Lutheran's bricks. We're talking about like whole sections of University Lutheran, if you can start to conceptualize that. And so when Jesus says... This is not a sure thing anymore. It, it sort of rattles the disciples. And we, we actually see that just a little bit later. A little bit later, they have now traveled away from where they began, which is the temple. And now they're on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple. And as they are looking out over the valley, over at the temple, sort of like I get to look over at Doe Campbell every Sunday morning. Jesus is setting himself up as an opposite to the temple. And the disciples go and they say, tell us more. When are these things going to happen? And Jesus goes into this long sort of monologue about what they can expect out of the kingdom of God. And it's an important moment for the disciples because what they are expecting out of the kingdom of God is no longer a sure thing. It is as if Jesus has rung the bell. The disciples have said, hey, we've got this great temple. We've got this great political and religious center of what Jewish life is all about. This surely must be the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, ding. And he goes 
And he sets himself up as an opposite to the temple, as something that is different than the temple. And his disciples then come to him and they say, what is this opposite, different thing going to be like? And he gives them this picture of what it's going to be like, this picture that, well, maybe they don't want this picture exactly because this picture doesn't seem like it is a picture that is totally something that they would want to have. Because it involves them being dragged in front of kings and governors. Because it involves persecution. It involves hard work. It involves all of this crazy stuff. It involves wars and rumors of wars. It involves false messiahs. It involves all of these things. And yet, Jesus is telling his disciples that this is what living in his kingdom looks like. That this is the sure thing. And that we know that it's the sure thing because of not what it is, but because of who it's coming from. Jesus is saying, this is what my kingdom is like. Because if you're looking for God's kingdom, you're better off not looking at a temple. You're better off looking at God. And that's who I am. And yet, so many years later, so often, we have a tendency to do the same things that the disciples did. We have this, this tendency to see sure things where they don't actually exist. We have a tendency to see things in the institution of the church as being the sure thing. And yet, we find out a lot of times when that institution goes wrong, when the church hurts people, when things happen in the church and church doesn't do what it's supposed to do, when church is outed for what it is, that it's just really a whole bunch of sinful human beings coming together in order to revel in their own hypocrisy, but also receive the sweet gift of forgiveness together. Sometimes we have this tendency to see the church as being, well, better than what it is. We have this tendency to look at the church and to marvel to God. Look, God, what beautiful stones. To which God says, turn around and look at me. Don't look at human institutions that are prone to failure, but rather look at me. Which is why this Hebrews reading is such good news for us. That this Hebrews reading is a reading for us that is something that tells us who we are to look to, who is the sure thing, where we can look when things get difficult. And so the writer of the Hebrews is talking to a whole bunch of people who think that the church should be a whole lot better at being, well, a little bit more Jewish is kind of how the book of Hebrew goes. And they're saying, well, we need some reform in the church. We need some reform to get things back to where they used to be. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, stop looking there. Turn around and look 
at the person that you're supposed to be looking at. And the person that we are supposed to be looking at is the same person that the people in Jesus' day were supposed to be looking at. It's the same people that the writer of Hebrews is addressing as he's writing. It's the same people that David in Psalm 16 is addressing when he's saying that there are so many other foreign gods and foreign elements that we are tempted to look at for the answers to our lives. And all of these readings say those are not a sure thing. If you want a sure thing, look at Jesus. Look at the one who died on the cross for your sins. Look at the one who is the second person of the Trinity who was there when this entire world was created. Look at the person who offered himself up as the sacrifice for you so that you could be in his kingdom. He is the sure thing. He's the sure bet. And interestingly, he operates like the bell in that play over and over again for us. Making himself our sure thing because, well, we're just like Bill and Betty. We're just like Bill and Betty who walk into the frame of our lives and we try to do the right thing and we try to connect with the thing that we want and yet so often we find that we're in the midst of failure because we're sinful. Because we're in that moment where we just have to say, that didn't work. And just like Bill and Betty's story, if we get to that moment where things just don't work, there's not a whole lot that we can do in order to make that better. It's not like if Bill says, is this chair taken? And Betty says, yes, it is. It's not like Bill should then go and argue with her about if that's right or not. But rather, it's just a sign that that relationship is over. And that should be how we are approaching God. We should be approaching God and saying, uh, Hey, Lord, I see this chair up in the resurrection. Uh, is that open? And God goes, Nope. At that point, we would be left without anything to say. We would be left without a chair. We would be left without a relationship. We would be left without what we needed. But Jesus comes into our world. He's born into our world as a baby in order to give us this amazing and resounding message this amazing and resounding message which is ding and all is forgiven and we have another chance but not only do we have another chance but we have the knowledge of a sure thing 
every time we sin, that every time we get it wrong, every time we look at the church instead of Jesus, every time we look at ourselves instead of Jesus, every time we look at anything else outside of Jesus, that Jesus gives us this opportunity. He gives us this moment. He gives us this chance again. Ding, 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 ding. Throughout our life, until that moment of the final ding, where he says, now you no longer have to deal with sin. And we walk off with him, arm in arm ready for the next great moment of our divine love story with him. So brothers and sisters in Christ, may you turn your eyes toward Jesus throughout this week. And may you do so especially in those moments where you feel like you've made a mistake, where you've committed a sin, where there has been something that has gone wrong. And may you hear Christ screaming out to you in the memory of my voice saying to you, Ding! Amen. Thank you for listening to this media from University Lutheran Church and Student Center. To learn more and to get connected to other resources, please visit universitylutheranchurch.org. If you would like to financially support more media from University Lutheran, please visit our website and click the Give Now button, which will enable you to engage in the Christian discipline of giving tithes and offerings to God through His church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up His face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Well,